Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Man presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. saying, Dan, you haven't done your homework. The 49ers had other free free agents they had to re-sign ahead of Mike McGlinchey. Dude, don't be naive. Don't. Come on now. You don't draft somebody in the top 10 and let them walk away if they've lived up to their draft position, man. Don't be silly. Right? The Broncos don't trade Bradley Chubb if he if he played like what was he the number all th- thir- three overall dra- you know draft pick like if he became the next Von Miller you don't trade him to Miami and good God man why did Miami do that Dolphins go to Dolphins all right you don't draft him number nine overall at that position at right tackle unless you're prepared down the road to pay him what he's going to be worth. Like you're going to pay him like the number one right tackle in the league probably because you expect him, when you draft somebody number nine overall, you expect them to probably be the best at their position or in the top one or two or three at their position the year that they're up. You expect them to be a cornerstone of your team. You find a way in today's salary cap to re-sign them. And the truth of the matter is, is that Mike McGlinchey for the 49ers was a good player with some serious flaws. A good player, but not a great player. That's what he is. (laughs) Dan... You mean you need a mandatory day off? Don't make me call the missus your friend, Luke Patterson. Luke Patterson from SI fame. Good to see you out there at uh, training camp, Luke. Dan, are you rooting for Miami to get Dalvin Cook? I'm rooting for the Broncos to get Dalvin Cook. I think. See, going going back to what James Merlin was saying, James was saying they need to find a way to get a more dynamic. They, they need to go out and, and add a better wide receiver because last year when Tim Patrick went down, they just said, nope, we're gonna, we're gonna, they're gonna, somebody else is going to step up and Jerry Judy's going to step up and Corlin Sutton's going to step up and everything's going to be fine. And that was a mistake. And I don't necessarily disagree with James Merrillat, but why wouldn't you go out there and get one of the most dynamic running backs in the league that's sitting out there when running backs, now he's not going to be cheap, cheap, but he's a lot cheaper than wide receivers are. Uh, You know, top now, I I don't know what a free agent, I don't know what, you know, some of these guys might be cheap. You know, Jarvis Landry, I don't know what he's going to get in free agency. You know, I don't know what the wide receivers that are sitting out there on the street are going to command. I got to be honest. I don't know. And I know that Dalvin Cook is trying to get $10, $11 million. I don't know what his contract's going to look like. But, you know, 
when you're talking about a guy that last year I think had around 1,400 total yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns, they haven't had a guy around here that's been sniffing that in years. I'm listening to Stokely and Zach the other day, you know, I don't know, weeks ago, about a month ago, and and Zach By is talking about the possibility of a guy getting five touchdowns because Sean Payton's here. Five. That's what we're talking about, man. We're talking about Jerry Judy getting five touchdowns or something like that. We They need guys getting... 10 touchdowns. What are we talking about? And Dalvin, a guy like Dalvin Cook could represent the fastest way to get to that. Get somebody you know is dynamic. If you're getting somebody off the street, get somebody like that. I don't understand. I have not under, I just don't understand this cheapening of the running back position. They just cast them. I understand after 30, their production goes down and things like that. But you're literally, this is the worst offense in the league. And for those of us that have been out to camp, listeners and people in the media, you see what they're how they're operating. It ain't good. Maybe it's going to get better. I'm not trying to be reactionary. But what you can't say is, wow, they're leaps and bounds better than they were last year. You haven't seen that. So if you have an opportunity to add a dynamic piece, go get it. Good God, get away from the group think that plagues so many coaches and front offices in this league. Oh, well, we can't go get Dalvin Cook. We got to wait till we have him over a barrel and so we can get value. The same value that's paying Cortland Sutton ridiculous money and that's paying, you know, Tim Patrick a lot of money. I don't think, you know, it's ridiculous money, but you're paying all way overpaying. This is a league in which Cortland Sutton is getting ridiculous money when Dalvin put put Cortland Sutton and Dalvin Cook side by side. Who is giving you more production? But somehow the league is now, I mean, it's not even close, guys. Not even close. But Dalvin Cook is relegated to the the trash bin right now. I mean, it's insane. Corlin Sutton has never been the player that Dalvin Cook has has been, man. Let's just look at it. Corlin Sutton contract. I might be wrong, but are they paying him like $18 million this year? What are they paying him? Let's just look, look it up. Listen to the Jeopardy music in your head right now. Okay, 14, yeah, his cap hit is $18 million for Cortland Sutton. And let's look up his production. Cortland Sutton stats. You're going to be blown away by this. 64 receptions. For 829 yards and two touchdowns. You're paying $18 million for that. Okay? Last year, Dalvin Cook, which I don't know, you're probably going to have to pay him $10 million. $10 million a year. 
He had 11, uh, 1,173 yards on the ground, so almost 1,200 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns just on the ground. Corlin Sutton's had two, two touchdowns on the ground. And they, he chipped in another 300, 295, so almost 300 yards through the air and two touchdowns um, receiving. So 10 total touchdowns and almost 1,500 total yards. And you can get him, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's going to be about $10 million a year. Why is this even close? Why is this a league? How is this a world where the production isn't even close. Let's say Corlin Sutton rebounds. What's a rebound year for Corlin Sutton look like? And by the way, what we're told is they want to run the ball here. Dalvin Cook could have better numbers. And I don't, I understand Javante Williams is here. Forget some, you know, P. Ryan, man. If you sign Dalvin Cook... Fine, he's there for depth. P. Ryan's there for depth. Who cares? And Javante, they could both thrive. But I'm, I'm, I'm told they have spent all that money on Powers and McGlinchey to run the ball. And I understand they're not going to run the ball sixty percent of the time. That's that's fool's gold. But Dalvin Cook could thrive. He could have better numbers in this offense. What we're seeing at camp is not the resurrection of Russell Wilson. It's the, okay, we're going to make make it so we can get squeaked by with Russell Wilson. So far, it's been, all right, uh, Russ is, we're going to get him back to, you know, game manager Russ. It's not Seattle Russ. That's the scary thing. So I don't understand how this group think in the NFL when it is allowing this to happen, and they think it's great. We're just going to squeeze some of our most dynamic players into bad positions and then give huge money to guys like Cortland Sutton. And I don't say that to slight Cortland Sutton. You know, Cortland Sutton seems to be like a good guy, but good grief, what are we doing? Guys like Cortland Sutton making $18 million a year when, you know, Dalvin Cook's, a, you know, been a star in this league. And Cortland Sutton's, you know, had one one nice year when he was essentially a top 20 receiver in his position. Top 20. That's all he was. And then, they, you know, for some reason, oh, you can pay wide receivers, you know, Huge money, you know. He, he had a his best year was eleven hundred yards and six touchdowns, and he's get, and he gets huge money off that, which was essentially worse than what Dalvin Cook did last year. It's unreal. Dalvin Cook's best year, fifteen hundred yards on the ground. And 361 yards in the air. And I'm trying to look at his touchdowns that year. He had you know one on the ground and 16 touchdowns that year. 
He's had years where he had 16 touchdowns on the ground, 13 touchdowns on the ground. I mean, what are we doing? What are we talking about here? You can add this guy, or you can say, well, we're just going to roll with Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton. I, I, I hate to say it, guys. Just Corlin Sutton just doesn't look – one, at his best, he wasn't a great elite wide receiver at his best. And in the – you know you, and since his injury, he hasn't looked. He's been a he's been a shell of a former self. It's like James Merrillat said, and I've said on, on numerous occasions. They just have this bias where the Broncos they overvalue their own assets. And and by the way, Marvin's Mims, man, where's this guy been? You haven't heard a peep out of this guy. It's scary. And I, I, I kind of agree with James, but when you have a proven commodity out there, even though it's at a different position, why wouldn't you go get them? Why? Because of groupthink. They're too smart by half, right? Because the trend in the league is to hold these running backs over a barrel. Don't give them money because you can just use them up and throw them aside. Well, when you're the worst offense in the league, that's fine for other teams, but when you're the worst in the league, maybe you should think a little differently than the other teams. Maybe you should do something differently. Maybe that's how you get out of the the cellar, out of the basement. Maybe that's how you become a little better than the worst. Maybe when you're setting yourself up to be a rushing team, you should go get one of the better players in the league, one of the best at, at, in the league at doing it, rather than just saying, um, well, we'll get by with a journeyman and a guy that, you know, is coming off a knee injury. Maybe, maybe, just maybe you would consider that. I don't know. I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy talk. But maybe that's a smart thing to do. But I don't know. The other coaches say we need to, you know, we need to, you know, Hold these running backs over a barrel. I know. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. But that's what we do here on the Dan Jacob Show. We think a little differently. All right. Coming up next, a good friend, Denver Broncos senior or senior Denver Broncos writer for DenverSports.com. Andrew Mason joins us coming up next. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. I like this song. It'll rain and Andrew Mason studio. Back here. What's that? It's good to be back here. Yeah. Man. Yeah. There isn't a day off for me at this point with the calendar, but that's okay. Are they practicing tomorrow, just not open to the media? They are practicing tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are all are all practices. Now, like they had the one practice on Thursday this past week that was close to the media. Um and it was it was slightly dialed down, but not really. It was actually a lot like Saturday's practice. 
in terms of what we saw. Of course, yesterday they had shorts. They had shorts on Thursday as well when there weren't fans out there. Um, so the tenor of the work's pretty much the same, whether there are people on the hillside or not. So what is? I, I'm a little confused because yeah. when he he comes out, Sean Payton comes out and says everything's going to be the opposite, this and that. And what I heard from the reporting all off season during the OTAs, um, particularly from the the beat writers, was oh everything's going to be completely different. Um, no, no glamping. Everything's going to be uh, hard and tense, and uh, they're going to be beating each other up and this and that. And I haven't seen it. And um, the people that I've talked to that have been out there covering it, guys like you, have, it's it's not been markedly different. I don't know if the CBA precludes it or whatever. It just looks like a fine, nice, easy practices. Um, certainly not what I'm used to under, you know, Mike Shanahan and, you know, Bron- you know Broncos practices past. Uh, it doesn't look completely different to me. In fact, there's an article from Cecil Lammy on denversports.com talking about how even penalties are an issue right now. Well, the CBA does preclude it. Like the day that they had last Thursday when they did throttle it back a bit, that's that is CBA mandated. So there's only so much you can do. Last year went to the extreme in the other direction, though, where or in the direction of just easing it back. I mean, making sure that one out of every three days was a jog through. I would argue that some of the uh, shorts and shells days that we've seen so far probably had a little bit more intensity and edge to them than the full pad practices last year. So I think there is a difference, but this is not – it's not Junction Boys back in the you know, – no, back no. in the day. And it's not even you, – you mentioned Mike Shanahan. I mean, Shanny would have two-a-days, right? Now, the second one was usually like a special teams type day, right? Uh, quite often. Well – Quite often. Probably three times a week was yeah. – there was special teams, and yeah. oftentimes the vets – they got off the afternoon practice. The vets, yeah. a lot of the you know the you know the premium vets would get the yeah. afternoon off, um, but yeah, he was you know special teams would but 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 those days aren't coming back. So. But they would be intense. They would be barking. There would be you know the co- either the coaches would be getting after it or the players would be getting after it, and I don't see that. T- that's the intensity I'm talking about. The CBA CBA doesn't can dictate hitting or practice schedules or time spent. It, the CBA can't dictate intensity, and I don't see that same type of intensity, which I used to see out here under, like, Mike Shanahan or whatever. I don't – do you see that? Uh, but those days – like I said, those, in terms of the physicality, those days aren't coming back because what, the, the premium is on – is on – having good work but making sure that there it doesn't go over the line like yesterday. I mean there's a play where Drew Sanders, you know, kind of borderline clotheslines a guy, right? And you know, that's you know that's basically like, okay, that's too far. Don't do it. I mean if you were going if you were going for intensity, um that would that would be considered over the top today. Well I, I remember an example twenty years ago when Steve Berline, backup quarterback for the Broncos, then went back to throw and Ian Gold was rushing him, and Gold didn't hold up, and instead got him on the arm as he's throwing, and you know, there, that led to a little bit of a a, a a disagreement. To be kind, what you see often now is guys 
pulling up. I mean, I've gotten used, very used to, and this probably says something about the uh, the the issues that they're having on the flanks of the offensive line and the protection scheme. I've gotten very used to seeing Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito hold up, pull themselves back. Like they'll have missile lock, and you'll see him just kind of go, "Whoa, mm. we're going to rein it back in." So, I think respectfully, Your Honor, um, what you're what you're talking about. Is something that just isn't going to exist in camp, right? Right. Well, then they anymore. Then I then I it's don't want intense wanna... for the. I would say it is intense for the standards of this day. Okay. Well, that's fair. That it's not coming back. Then I don't want to hear the, out of everybody. That's that's what we're going to get, though. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I think. Well, I mean, who was saying this? Like that was going to be like the Shanahan era. I mean, they didn't say it was going to be the Shanahan era. They said it was going to be well. One, Sean Payton himself said. Um, we're gonna whatever they did last year. We're gonna do the opposite. But you can only do the opposite to a certain degree, right? I mean, you can't go out there and start running the Oklahoma drill. <laughs> uh, can't they? They can run Oklahomas uh, if they're in pads. They're allowed to do that. But you're not gonna. I mean, you're not gonna do well, that. Well, they're not. Well, then don't say you say. are. I mean, don't you're say not, you're, you're gonna do the opposite. You, the, the, part of the opposite is seeing one-on-one work. I mean. We're seeing one-on-one pass rush drills, one-on-one receivers versus DBs. Uh, we're seeing you know tight ends versus uh, linebackers, running backs versus linebackers. We're seeing the kind of competitive scenarios that weren't a part of last year's practices. Okay. Um, I don't know if you heard what I was talking about coming in, but James Merrillat and I had a conversation yesterday. Uh, very unfortunate uh, about Tim Patrick. Uh, feel really badly for him because I was a big supporter of his. Um, just love his story coming up and becoming pretty much the best wide receiver on the team. Uh, loved his story. Heartbroken for him that he's not going to, you know, make. The, you know, he's he's out for the season again. Um, but what James was saying was they need to go out and and get the best re- replacement for him that they can. Either, you know, probably via free agency or whatever, find a proven commodity, not just rely on, you know, a Kendall Hinton or somebody to, you know, step up. That was a, a fatal flaw, the mistake that they did last year. And kind of what I'm saying is I don't disagree with that, but it's weird to me that, you know, like Dalvin Cook's out there, for example, that, you know, Cortland, what I was saying is Cortland Sutton makes $18 million a year, has never had. His best year was not as good as uh, uh, Dalvin Cook's year last year, right, um, as far as, you know, total production. And Dalvin Cook will not make anywhere near, even with this, his new contract, won't make anything close to what Dal- uh, Colin Sutton's going to make this year. So wide receivers, from a production standpoint, blow away what these run- you know star running backs are going to make. So for, I was thinking – you have a proven commodity on the street that you can get for much cheaper than what you're paying for a very declining Cortland Sutton. Why would you go get it? And and what's your also your take on, man, just not paying these running backs? Well, we'll start with the running back position league wide. Basically, this is one. Of, this is like the money ball ification of right. the NFL. Um, running back is feeling that pinch because what teams have learned through their analysis is that with the rare exception of a Derrick Henry, a Frank Gore back in the day, for example, that running back production and efficiency declines pretty quickly as they accumulate touches 
and uh, lose tread on their tires, basically. So you have quite a few teams that philosophically have decided we're not going to pay running backs. We're going to draft them. We're going to make the most out of them on their rookie contract and then probably let them go. Um, that's like the Jonathan Taylor situation in Indianapolis is certainly an example of that because the Colts uh, don't appear willing to you know make any moves toward a long-term deal for Taylor, and now he he wants out. So most so you you have that in play, and there look there's a lot of really good data that you know that supports why teams do that, but at the same time it's still an important position in terms of making your team go for a, for a great many teams. Probably more important for the Broncos than others if they can't get Russell Wilson back on a high level, right? So that's that's kind of the conundrum where things are where things are right now. Receivers are interesting because in general, league-wide, that's another position where there's not a shortage of talent. There's not a sh- it's not like uh College football has trouble developing quality wide receivers just like they don't have trouble developing quality running backs. And so that's what one of the reasons why I think you see the Broncos at this moment uh, content to say, all right, here's Brandon Johnson in year two. Let's see what he's got. Can he, can he be a good wide receiver three for a fraction of the price if we were to go out there on the market? Uh, can where can Marvin Mims Jr. go this year once he once he gets going? I think that's, and, and I think the fact that you still see those names out there on the market shows that you can basically be patient and say, okay, let's the the first path ideally is to develop what we've got to develop the cost control talent on hand, and then you start saying, okay, do we have to go get a veteran or not? We're still in phase one right now. Yeah, I think the the issue is, and what I was saying was, the Broncos were the worst in the league on offense last year. And how patient, when you're the worst, how patient can you be? Like, it's this group men- think mentality. And by the way, like the... the- how much of that was uh, play calling and and philosophy, though, rather than talent? See, we, see my And prop- that's what we can debate because you look at the, the last two weeks when you change the play caller and you change the points of emphasis, the offense looked pretty capable against Kansas City and the Chargers. Kansas City was, and you know, th- those are two playoff teams. Chargers had their starters in for most of the game. Kansas City, you know, was playing for the number one seed. Well, the other the other way to look at that is, um, you barely won a game in which the other team pulled their starters, and you lost the other game. <laughs> like Ar- you can that? argue, you lost the other game on what is universally agreed to be a horrible call. Well, I mean, on OPI on Cortland Sutton, right on the road, extremely tough environment. A team that had its will basically broken down, broken down and worn down to a nub, walking into that stadium, and they nearly pulled off the upset of the season. Nearly, you know. I know. Okay, I know nearly, but the the point is that what those last two weeks showed was that there was actually a decent offense lurking there behind all the detritus that clogged the system for the first fifteen weeks of the season. My problem is throughout this. Um, Decline that we've seen, right, to the worst in the league. We've scapegoated every offensive coordinator along the way, every single one of them. You know, oh, it was Mike McCoy. Oh, then it was going to be, oh, the um, 
Bill Musgrave Bill offense. Musgrave. Mil, that was going to save us, the Bill Musgrave offense. And nobody knew what it was, right? But it was going to save us. And then that didn't save us. And he then, actually got a halfway decent game out of Paxton Lynch in retrospect. Right. By, by completely simplifying it down down to like a a 10-play offense. It, it, was right. actually, it was actually, you know, it was it was credible. It wasn't embarrassing. We all expected Paxton Lynch to go out there that day and embarrass himself. And he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, he wasn't great, but he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't Rusty Lish or Nathan Peterman to use an old school name and a recent name. Sure, yeah. but you know, every, all along the way, then we vilified you know Pat Shermer. Oh, he was the worst guy in the world, and then they actually got worse once they fired him. Um, and then you know, then now we're vilifying Hackett, and then everybody that he allowed to you know uh, Kubiak and. Um, Outen and everybody that he allowed to call plays. All th- so what do they have? Three, four play callers last year. All of them were the de- are the devil now. They had uh, three. Yeah. yeah, they had three. So I just not buying it. Well, I don't it, think man. we're making Justin Outen the devil because when he called plays, like I said, it actually looked pretty decent. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, at some point you got to say the talent's not there. Um, and you need to upgrade the talent. And so I think it's a mistake to say, well, okay, Sean Payton's here. And who's going? I mean, who's calling the plays this year? Uh, mostly Sean Payton. There'll be some input from Joe Lombardi. Okay, so that Sean Payton's just going to sashay in here with this talent um, that's never produced at a high level. In fact, that produced at a worst in the league level last year, and he's just going to game plan his way into the playoffs. I think that's a stretch. Well, I think it was a stretch, even you know, taking out the comparisons to last to last year. I mean, this team has a very narrow margin for error to be a playoff team. And unfortunately, some of that margin for error evaporated when Tim Patrick tore his Achilles. Mm. So, realistically, going forward, you could have a great many things go right, and this team is 9-8 and eight and misses by a whisker. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if that actually is the outcome of this season, that they, they hang in there, they're tough, they, you know, they, they they get back to being respectable, and they fall just barely short at the end. Kind of, honestly, kind of like the Saints back in uh, twenty twenty one, the first year uh, without Drew Brees. I mean, they they now they had some things go wrong. I think that was going to be a playoff team if Jameis Winston doesn't get hurt, but he did. They had to play quarterback roulette for a while. It was actually a terrific job by Sean Payton and his staff getting that. Jalopy home in the in the end at uh, nine and eight and uh, still having a chance in the final weeks of the year. Uh, I agree with you. I think that's probably where they're going to be. You know, they're going to be better. They're going to be in that you know eight nine win range. But you know, they'll probably top you know top out you know based on the talent of the roster. You know, and well, the roster overall needs some rebuilding. I mean, if we if we go down the path of saying okay. What have they been able to accumulate in the draft over the years? Well, this past week, of course, they cut K.J. Hamler, right? Mm -hmm. And so you look at day two of that 2020 draft. The Broncos have four picks on day two, correct? They had K.J. Hamler. He's gone. They had Michael Ojemudia. He's gone. Lloyd Cushenberry, still here. For now. He'll be the center this year. Well, th- yeah, this year. Yes. Yeah. And McTelvin Ajim, gone. So that's three of four day two picks 
guys that you expect to play out their contracts at least to, to be here for four years. Three of the four are gone, and at minimum, you're expecting them to at least provide depth, if not have, if not be starters. Right? You got one starter out of that, and Lloyd Cushenberry. Um, Who's been, let's be honest, uh, he's taken a lot of heat for not living up to expectation. I think I, I think this is this this scheme and the uh, the guards around him are going to help him a bit, though. I think he'll, I think this will be his best year. He actually has a, an environment that I think suits him because remember you've you've got everybody coming up from New Orleans, and the Saints and LSU have been pretty well connected. Lloyd Cushenberry has been somebody that Sean Payton and uh, and his staff have known about for a very long time. And I think they believe in Lloyd Cushenberry. Hmm. Um, they believe in uh, in in his intelligence, and I think I actually think he is a nice. I think he he's a nice fit, surrounded by two big, power based guards in Ben Powers and Quinn Miners, and I think that trio actually might work really well together as the season progresses. Here's a here's a question I asked everybody yesterday that came over to the DenverSports.com zone. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our hosts that have you know been at practice and everything. Um, you, you've been watching camp every day, of course. Uh, will we see ever the return of Seattle Russ? <sighs> That's tough. Um, I don't like the absolutes of ever and never in general. Okay, check it out. Will, will we see the return of Seattle Russ? I think we can, but it might. But if it's working and you're going to get it back there, it probably won't be. He probably won't be all the way back this year. I think, and I think the interesting thing about Russell Wilson and why. It's not so clear cut as saying, okay, he has to, he hits a set number of numbers or the team is a playoff team or not. I don't think determining his future and whether you're going to have him on the roster fifth day of the league year when his 2025 salary becomes guaranteed and that's another 37 million on the books. I don't think it's as sim- it can be distilled down to, oh, if they're a playoff team, he's back. Oh, if he hits certain statistical benchmarks, he's back. I think it's about the trend line and the progression. As much as anything else, if he is getting better at running this offense, if Sean Payton, uh, to get things done, does he have to alter things to a degree where it's not quite what he wants to do schematically? Or is Russ adapting and adjusting to the more rhythm and timing-based concepts that Payton has historically favored? Um, That's... These are all going to be factors in determining whether he gets back. Maybe he gets back to a Seattle level eventually, but it doesn't. Maybe, the, but might it, not be here. It doesn't right, and it doesn't look the same as it did stylistically, right? Well, That's the thing. something I've I've gotten a lot of mileage out of is you came on this show. It was either last week or the week before, mm-hmm. and you left us with something very tantalizing, which okay. is what was that? I'm curious. Even if. And, and, and to be fair, you said it depends on how he's looking at the end of the season. But it was like, even if he, you know, limps, you know, not limps, but he gets the team to eight or nine wins, unless he's trending 
really high at the end of the season, they kind of have have to get rid of them, and then it has a butterfly effect on the on the whole thing because if they have to get rid of them, well, then they're kind of rebuilding because then they got to go find a quarterback, right? And if you want to. Let's let's say let's say Arizona and Houston are the two worst teams, which is possible, right? Uh-huh. Which means Arizona would have pick one and pick two. That's kind of the scenario you'd be hoping for, right? If you wanted to move up, because Arizona would presumably trade one of those picks. But let's say you're the Broncos, and let's say you go eight and nine. Which I mean, you're picking 15, 16, 17? Yeah, I'll be generous and say you're picking fourteenth, okay. right? And in this scenario, Arizona has the top two picks. So certainly at number two, number one, they would take Caleb Williams. At number two, they'd be open for business. Moving up would require, first of all, you'd be trading at least one future first-round pick, if not two future first-round picks. Second of all, you'd probably be saying goodbye to at least one of your best players. I mean, in that scenario, if you're saying, all right, we're rebuilding. We got to get that number two overall pick. You might be saying goodbye to Pat Sertan in a trade. Well, that's all they he's have. Your, he's your most valuable asset, right? I mean, that's the only asset. Um, they have. I mean, I mean, nobody's... but you might have to do that if you if you decide, okay, uh, we're we're moving on from Russ, but we need a quarterback, and we can get Drake May at number two. Yeah, that might be where you are. Yeah, and so it's interesting because uh, because for example, doesn't think. And I don't. I don't agree with this. I don't. I don't think Sean Payton comes back for two or three years. I think he's young, and I think he he wants to you know become a legend here. I th- he's he wants to do. He, he wants to get a Super Bowl here. Okay. Yeah. So he's thinking about that. So it's interesting. He has to have his mind on. Okay, I want Russell to work out, but if he doesn't, what's my plan right. B? Russ's plan A. Because if he, if you get him right, you're happy to pick up the 2025. A salary, make it guaranteed. You are happy to go forward for the next few years with Russell Wilson. That is the optimal plan, period. And so this year is about finding out whether you're doing that. Everything else is a contingency, right? But he has to be away. He had to have taken into consideration um, because the rest of the league was not high on Russ, right? So he had to take into consideration um, the, a plan B. It can't be John Elway. We're going with plan A. There's no plan B. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but if 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 Russ doesn't work out, like it could be a lean two three years around here. It could, but you'd think it would also buy him some time, right? Well, buy him time. Yes. But yeah, I mean that would be because like, he's. But you know, the the good thing about him is he 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 historically has not had you know three win seasons or four win seasons. Right. Like his bottoming out in New Orleans was seven and nine. Right. Yeah. Remember they 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 had a. Those three consecutive years of seven and nine uh, back uh, in the mid 2010s when they were kind of resetting things, but I think a more relevant seven and nine was actually his second season on the job. Now that first year, the Saints go from three and thirteen to ten and six, and they go to the NFC Championship game. That's the 06 season. But there were a number of factors that broke right. First of all, they were three and thirteen the year before, but that wasn't a three and thirteen team talent wise. That before that year, they had been about a seven or eight win team. I believe the three previous season, the four previous seasons. What happened in 05? Katrina, Katrina happened. Yeah. They had to move their operation in New Orleans, or from from New Orleans to San Antonio for the season. It was everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and then you go to 06. 
you do you pick up Drew Brees, and that's re- that's very relevant. But if you look around the NFC that year, and start with the NFC South, Carolina played for the NFC Championship the year before they fall back to eight and eight. Tampa Bay eleven and five the year before they fall back to four and twelve. Atlanta falls to I believe seven and nine from eight and eight. And the NFC as a whole was down. That was the year Chicago with Lovey Smith and Rex Grossman won the NFC. Mm. So they had a year where the NFC and their division specifically regressed. They had some, the Saints themselves had some ascension to the mean, and they went 10 and 6. But in the following two years, they went 7 and 9 and 8 and 8. And those years were more reflective of where the Saints stood in terms of the building process that Sean Payton was doing. And then by that fourth year, they go 13-3 and three and they win the Super Bowl. And that starts a, a, a five-year run, aside from the year where Payton was suspended, five-year run where they're one of the best teams in football. And then they have to reset for three years, and they go 7-9, 7-9, 7-9. And then, they, and then they, they draft well, they rebuild the roster, and then they get another nice run from 2017 to 2020. The point being, I think you look at that 06 season, and if you're expecting that sort of turnaround from the Broncos, I'd say that's probably a little bit deceptive. That Saints team that year was realistically probably about an 8-8 eight and eight type of team that had a lot of things go in their favor. Mm. And that would have been more reflective of where things were in terms of the building process than coming within one game of the Super Bowl. Andrew Mason, what are you working on for denversports.com? Um, I'm actually hoping to take a little bit of a respite today uh, and be back uh, covering practice tomorrow. I've got a couple of, uh, of interviews to transcribe that I'm, I'm going to end up uh, writing up at denversports.com here in the next few days. Um, some one-on-one interviews with some players off to the side, but... Um, yeah, I'm actually hoping the rest of the day I can kind of, you know, clean my place up, um, work on some side projects. Everybody's got a side hustle these days, right? Absolutely. So, you know, work on work on that for for a little bit. Fantastic. So, but yeah, but uh, plenty of stuff at DenverSports.com. I've got two pieces from yesterday's practice, including a breakdown of uh, how things went in two minute when the offense had another penalty strewn start, and then came bounce back. Uh, with a touchdown from Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy. Uh, probably the highlight of training camp for Russell Wilson so far was that 47-yard touchdown pass. So check it all out and much more at denversports.com. All right, we thank you for your time. We'll take a quick time out on the Dan Jacobs Show. Judge, jury, executioner. Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. You know I need your love. You got that hold over me. But always I got your love. You know that I'll never leave. Wow, what a groovy song. When I wanted you to share my life. To uh, have Andrew Mason in studio, a rare treat. Like that. That's the RamosLaw.com text line. Stidham will be our savior. Mark the date. I got to be honest, when I've been out there, Stidham hasn't looked great. Ben Danucci's. The one day I was out there, Danucci actually was the best quarterback. Now, I'm not saying there's a quarterback controversy or anything like that. Um, but Danucci, if you're just looking, like, if you didn't know any better, um, it was uh, a, a situation where, you know, Danucci looked 
he, he was the best quarterback. And, you know, Russell Wilson, he did yesterday had a better day, hit the bomb. I mean, sort of, you know, hit the bomb to um, Jerry Judy to kind of end out practice. So that's good. But um, it's, it's I've been putting that to everybody that's come by on the station. I put that question. Will we see Seattle Russ? And nobody is expecting it, which is a little scary. But again, I'm still taking a wait and see approach. I don't want to be reactionary. It's training camp. Um, in fact, I want to read this text. It says, morning, your honor. I'm nowhere as experienced as you in law, but I know a little. Sounds like everyone blames for better or worse the CBA. If no one likes the CBA, why is it still in place? Businesses and unions rework or break contracts all the time. Why is this happening, Nate? Well, because it's not true, Nate. Thank you for the text. It's not true that nobody likes it. The players like it. The players fought hard for these easier times. Right? They didn't like the old way where they're working out two times a day. And, they, you know, the, the theory was it's not good for the body to stop and start. Muscles are not meant to, um, you know, work really hard and then cool off and then get hot again and work really hard and then cool off. That's that's the theory, right? Like, okay, well, we'll see less injuries. Well, it seems to me like we're seeing more injuries than ever under the softer rules. Like anybody that's played fantasy football has has gotten crazy frustrated in recent years where your your, your team is injured all the time. Like you're, it's a constant battle to have like, you're always like, okay, if my team can just get right, if we can just get healthy, then I'll have a, a you know, a, a, a you know great roster for the playoffs, right? Like, you draft, like, this awesome team, and then it's never healthy. It's never, like, you never have your complete squad for the playoffs. And inevitably, like, you know, you might, uh, that that's in the NFL, the luck of the draw, like, you might see the team that stays the healthiest at least on one side of the Super Bowl, might be the team that wins. Look at look at the, the, the year Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. They were relatively healthy, and the Chiefs were decimated. And the Chiefs had no shot. Like Patrick Mahomes wasn't healthy, and his entire offensive line was patchwork. They had no shot. They still found a way to get there, but they had no earthly shot at winning that game. All right, great stuff with Andrew Mason. We're going to visit with another old friend, Will Scrappy, Will Peterson from denversports.com. Coming up next.